Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, I have David E. Holmes. He is the Director of Engineering with the United States Digital Service, a tech startup at the White House. This startup was founded by the president in 2014 to fix the healthcare.gov website. Remember when that crashed post-launch? So USDS was created then, and it continues as a nonpartisan mission by bringing government services to all Americans through design and technology. David leads the team there of 30-plus senior software engineers who deliver results by bringing private industry best practices to the federal government. In this episode, David and I discuss his journey from Staten Island, New York to Washington, D.C. We also discuss how being a nerd in the hood is often scary. And last but not least, we'll discuss his aspirations to be the next Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs. Before we get started, I have two items I want to address. One, I'm not sure if you follow on social media, but you definitely should be. I made the announcement this week that the podcast was selected to go to South by Southwest. I'm so excited and I can't wait to bring everyone a great panel around diversity in tech. The panel title is Diversity in Tech, Movement, Buzzword, or BS. And I think we all have a lot of opinions about what diversity in tech actually means to us. So I'm excited to bring that viewpoint to South by Southwest. I'm excited to do a live podcast in front of a large audience. And again, thank you to everyone who voted for the panel idea. Spread the words to their friends. I really, really appreciate you. And I can't wait to release that episode. And another item that I wanted to do today is I received an email from a listener about how to get into tech. So the question was, how can I get started in the industry? I shot down the idea completely, but I did start learning from an app in my phone. But how can I get started if I don't even have a laptop? And unfortunately, at the moment, I can't afford one. My advice is to look for resources everywhere. If you are in a city that has a public library, start using books and gathering information about tech from there. Start utilizing the people around you, doing informational interviews. If you know someone in tech or you want to connect with someone in tech, Make sure you follow the community of Black Tech Unplugged. Everyone is always friendly, always willing to answer questions, be it other people in the community or guests that have been on the podcast. There's many ways that you can utilize the information that is on the web. There's many different free resources online if you want to learn how to code. But I think the first thing that you need to do is understand what you want to do. There's so many different positions in tech. There's not just programming. There's business analysts. There's consulting. They're scrum master. So understand what you want to do and where your strengths are and also weaknesses because it's good to identify those two. And then start from there. Just understand what direction you want to go to. And like I said, there's so many free resources online. Reach out to us on the Black Tech Unplugged community and we can help lead you in the right direction. So I hope that's helpful. And if any of the other listeners, if any of you ever have a question, feel free to send it to blacktechunplugged at gmail.com. I'd be more than happy to read it to the community, share with the community, and also get some answers so that we can all help each other. Now, with that point, 
I will lead you into the episode. I hope you enjoy this episode and you learn a lot more about David E. Holmes. I think he is a very unique individual and he's had a very unique journey into tech. So hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do enjoy the episode, make sure you rate, subscribe and write a review. Now let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I have David Holmes on this episode. Hi, David. Hello. Thank you for having me. Of course. So, Dave, I want you to do a brief introduction of yourself. So, David Holmes, I work at the U.S. Digital Service. I am currently the Director of Engineering. And what that basically entails is I oversee the community of around 40 engineers that we have working on multiple different projects that that we are working on. So you know what, let's start all the way back at your childhood. So when you were younger, did you have any idea that you wanted to be in tech? So I grew up in Staten Island, New York. For those of you who's from New York City, some people look at Staten Island as a forgotten borough. And, you know, it's it's one of those places where in, until you live there, like, like it's hard to get. So, um, so I grew up in the North Shore of Staten Island, which is sort of where like Wu-Tang and all of them are from. Um, so it wasn't the best neighborhood um, growing up. And so if I got into computers, so around 10 years old, my father passed away of HIV AIDS. And, you know, I we found it around when I was eight. And and it really hit me like, like extremely hard. And one of the, the few things he left us was his computer. It was an HP 6475Z. And I remember the model number and all of that because, like, after he passed away, like, I put all, like, my pain and depression into that. And this, since I was around 10 years old, you know, eventually that sort of got boring. So I started getting more into, like, the programming side of things. And I used to build websites as a kid for all my friends um, because I used to play Dragon Ball Z. And I would have all the emulators and the ROMs and stuff. And my friends didn't know where to download it. So I would set up websites on GeoCities. For those who don't know, that's like an old school, like WordPress before WordPress. From there, so it sort of gotten around the neighborhood and like my friends and family that I knew how to fix computers and, and things like that. Uh, and people would start asking me to fix their computers. And, you know, this is now I'm in like the seventh, eighth grade. And now people are starting to pay me to fix their computers. So I thought that was like, like that was my first intro into, okay, I can, I can actually make money with computers, right? Because like, right. I'm 29 years old, so I grew up mostly in the dial-up era. Uh, yeah. A lot of people didn't actually like have computers. So even having a computer, especially where I'm from in your house, was like a big deal, right? And even if you had a computer, like it broke, right? There was viruses and stuff happening. No one knew how to fix it. And I was like one of the few people who knew how to fix it. So after I started you know, making money, I was like, okay, this this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to I'm gonna work in computers. Then, you know, uh, for me, like computers saved my life, right? Because when after my father died, like you could go two different ways, especially, you know, if you're a young black kid who's living, you know, in the hood, you, you kind of go like like the real street life and like picture you know, the life of the games. You can kind of like what I did was go sort of the nerdy life, right? And sort of like the, the geeky way. When you made the choice to, you know, follow the school route and be the quote unquote nerd, did you ever feel afraid? Because I feel like some kids are afraid. All they know is street life and that's all they're around. Yeah, I was super afraid. So like for me, for a long time during the day, I would like I play football with people like, you know, in my neighborhood. Um, So that's how I got to know everybody. And then 
at night I would like being super nerdy and geeking out and stuff like that. But yeah, for a while I was like really afraid to to share like how nerdy I am and like I love anime and you know I still love anime to this day. Like I just went to Anime Con in LA this year. <laughs> and yeah, it felt like I didn't think anybody would understood or you get picked on or you know, for me what helped was so after my father passed away, my mother was fine in herself too. Like I never grew up with my mother and, and father ever, but like like they had like a cordial co-parenting relationship. I saw my father every weekend. Like to me, he was the greatest father in the world. Right before he passed away, he took me to Disney World. Um, me and my family, like my brother and sister, to Disney World. Even though like he's like now in full blown like AIDS mode, um, so to say. And and he still found that energy to take us to Disney World because I was a childhood promise and he was going to make that promise. He showed me what it was like to be a man. Um, so my father, like how he got AIDS and how he contacted it was like, was he was like back in the early 90s, like 80s, him and his brothers did drugs. Um, it's like all my uncles basically passed away because they all shared like the same needle. And mm-hmm. um, so like I knew death, like even before like my father passed away because of because of all of that. And one of the greatest things was I never knew him as a drug addict, and my mom never like like portrayed that to me. Like she, like she never spoke ill of my father. And my earliest memories around four was like you know actively going to us every weekend, and he turned his life around. And one of the things that definitely gives me courage was the fact that you know after turning his life around, he actually found a security job in a corporate bank uh, back in the days it was called Staten Island Savings Bank. And mm-hmm. doing the corporate bank, you know, my dad would like do all the studying and stuff like that. And he ended up seeing the, the CEO of that bank one day and was just like talking his ears off from like where he stood as a security guard to, to the elevator. And then one day the CEO was like, why are you working in security here? You should be up in the offices. And offered my dad a job and so they're working in the offices and when he died he was a supervisor of the payroll department and in a corporate bank so how that story ties to like what i said earlier was like then like me doing that and working at this office and like working in the payroll billing department it's like okay like like i'm achieving my father's dream job and then so around that same time like i had all that confidence but i was so depressed and then what made it harder was my mom was finding herself while she's finding herself we were too and we an adult and luckily we had my grandmother, who's like that rock and pill in my family. Um, mm-hmm. And because my grandma's that rock and pillar, like, while like my mom wanted me to kind of go outside and not be the nerdy route, and sometimes my grandma was like, no, keep that boy inside. He's staying out of trouble. Like, yes, mm-hmm. he's in the yes, but, but keep him in, like, like he's staying out of trouble. Let him stay out of trouble. So I think for me, what made it easier was having that support system. And that's true because a grandmother's prayers. <laughs> it really does. And like, I'm, I'm so grateful for her every single day. And another question I have for you was, so you had a computer in your house and I have to ask how many other people on your block had a computer in their house? Ooh, how many other people on my block had a computer in their house? You know, a lot of people on my block didn't even have PlayStations in their house, let alone a computer. Um, mm-hmm. probably uh, I remember one kid um had a computer, and I remember that because mm-hmm. my computer was Windows ninety eight, and then this is around the time Windows XP came out, and he had Windows XP, and I was like, oh my god, you're so cool because you got Windows XP. 
<laughs> Isn't it crazy though? Like, I mean, now we all have smartphones and so we have access to the internet, entertainment, everything is in the palm of your hands now. But isn't it crazy to think that growing up, people, especially in the black community, they didn't know anything about a desktop, having a laptop, anything like that. So I just want to point out that the privilege of being able to have access to that. I know that that privilege definitely costs a lot because I only got it because my father passed away and he had a computer. That was one of the last things that he bought. After that, I felt comfortable with my computer science skills at that time. So I went to a school called McKee High School in Staten Island. It's a vocational trade school. And I studied graphic arts because I was like, okay, it's cool to know all the techie, geeky stuff. But I'm like, I'm building these websites for my friends. And like, like it's, it's not pretty. Right? <laughs> um, so how do I like make it pretty? So I signed up for graphic design, web design in this trade school. So did you have any challenges when it came to the tech aspect of wanting to learn tech or wanting to grow your knowledge in tech? I think one of the... The biggest challenges I had was not having anybody that I could just bounce questions or ideas off of, right? Or Mm. or even having people Mm. I could learn from. So like it would have been super helpful when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old trying to write modem drivers for Linux. Like it would have been super helpful if I just had like, you know, someone who can help me with that. Right. Mm. It's interesting you say that, you know, everyone would tell you, look to a teacher, right? Or if you were taking outside classes, look to that person that was leading the class to ask those questions. But we don't have that option as Black people. We don't have the option to go kind of find the resource. Now we luckily have Google and everything, but it wasn't, it's not the same for us. No, it's not. And so my mentor in high school was my graphic uh, design, uh, web design teacher, Mr. Gordon. He happened to be black but for the programming side of things no i would i would have loved to have someone who looked like me help guide me right and actually i find it interesting so you mentioned that you had a teacher who was black who was your graphic design teacher how important do you think that was for you to see someone who looks like you who likes the same things you do really important because i remember a conversation while sort of going down like maybe not the best track right um I remember sitting, sitting down and saying, like, that's not for you. You have some real talent, kid. You see these other kids, like, you don't want to be like them. You don't want to be the statistic of, of being someone dead or in jail, right? So, like, when I was 25 and got married and, you know, in Paris, I really celebrated because, as you know, they say we're dead or in jail by 25. So I made sure right. I celebrated. After that, I took a gap year. Right. And I was 18 years old now. I wanted to start my own startup. I thought it was going to be like Mark Zuckerberg. Right. Like, <laughs> I wanted to be a billionaire. Right. I knew I wanted to be in computers since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. How, like, I want to start my own startup. Everybody's starting their own startup. How can I start, like, my own startup? Turns out starting your own startup is hard, especially when you don't grow up as privileged as, like, some of these other people. Right. <laughs> um, and it, it took me, you know, yeah, to learn that. And then I ended up going to, to college. I went to a CUNY school, College of Staten Island. I wanted to be local. And and at the time, like, and even still now today, college is so expensive. And I didn't want to be in a ton of debt. So I did that for about a year, but they wasn't teaching me the things I really wanted to learn, right? Like, I wanted to do web development. They was teaching me, like, algorithm stuff, which is super helpful, and I still read algorithm books to this day. But I'm like, I'm paying for this, and I'm paying 
like I'm going thousands and thousands of dollars into debt for a class that isn't teaching me what I want to know. Right. Um, so so now I'm around, you know, 20 years old. I'm, I'm a college dropout now. I'm like, you know something? I, computers are still like my world and my life, right? So I start going to hackathons and I start going, okay, let me go to where the people are at of like the industry I really want to be in. You know, so I was going to hackathons every single weekend. Okay. Um, and so I'm going to all these hackathons. So my wife's stepfather, you know, I'm super good in computers. I really wanted to impress them and stuff. So um, one day she was telling me like they have computer problems. Computers is like it's slow and stuff. I was like, oh, let me like fix it. You know, trying to win some cool points with, with her mother and her stepfather. Um, so I went over there and I fixed their computer and I did it in like 45 minutes. And like the other guy they hired took like four hours. He was like, how come you do it like? When you come and do it, it's like 45 minutes. And like when they do it, it's like four hours. And like back in my mind, I know the game, right? Like, like you take a while. So that way, like, like you earn your pay. But I really wanted to impress them. So like, like, um, I was like, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm just really good at it and stuff. And then he was like, oh, well, if you're interested in the job, like we may have a job, you know, where I work at in the payroll billing department. He works in the corporate office of the security company, they do physical security. So like they're the people you know, at the stores, checking the receipts and like the security you see. And um, he was like, they're looking for IT people too. But if you start like in the payroll billing department, like you could do IT. So again, I'm a college dropout. The position actually required you to have like a bachelor's um, in finance. And I did not have that. But like, like I impressed them so much with my computer skills. They hired me anyways. So I'm, you know, I'm doing that for a few years. And what ended up pushing me to like leave that and jump straight from that into the tech industry was... So in payroll billing, you it's like tons of paperwork. And I'm a I'm a six two big black guy. So like when our paperwork stuff comes, like I help out, right? One day, like like we slack now. The CEO of that company tells the CFO, like, like he wants him to personally do this. So like of course he grabs me, he grabs the director of payroll billing, and we grab like one of the person from the department. And the CFO was like so mad from doing this. It's a lot of work. So as we're doing that work, he goes, I can't believe the CEO had me out here doing N-word work. <laughs> and when that happened, I, I just froze. I'm the only, you know, person of color there. Right. I just, I just like, like, you never know when, when like those things happen, like, like what you're going to do. And like, you always in the back of your head, right. Have that like plan. Like all I went to win, I, I just froze. Um, and then he just starts apologizing, right? And I'm 20 years oh, old, he's like apologizing, like I'm 20, 21 at this time. Um, he's just apologizing, apologizing. And he's like, no, not you, not you, I don't mean you. And like, that was like my real first lesson. Cause I grew up like in the hood, like I grew up with mostly black people. So like racism wasn't a thing that you saw because like all you saw was really your people. Um, right. and, and like, that was my first moment of like, oh, like, like one of the good ones. You know what I mean? Like No, explain that. What do you mean one of the good ones? Like I felt in his like that's how he he normally was. Right. And mm. to me he's apologizing to me because like I was to him like in his mind at that point in time, like one of the good ones. Not one of the ones who would just take that word and just like, oh no, like like whatever. But like like he felt comfortable enough around me to portray like that type of racism. Right. Oof. Um Deep. So how do you how did you respond to that situation? After, like, did you become unfrozen and have a moment or I just wanted to just to just 
get the work done. And just like, I went home, I didn't even tell my wife about it. I didn't tell my wife about that for years. And I just yeah. went home and started working on my resume. Like now like, looking back at it on hindsight, you know, I, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, so we can only say so much, but if you were in that situation today, how would you handle it? Um, I think today I would like, I won't have that frozen moment. Like I would have that, like what you just said was wrong. I can't believe you said that. Like I'm out of here moment. Cause now I'm like, I'm comfortable with my career where like, I could just walk out the door, right? And like find another job a week from now. But back then, I maybe, you know, call it, I'm in my, you know, early 20s. You know, my wife and I had been moved out since she was 19. So I had to pay rent and all of that. And it just wasn't, I just wasn't financially in the position. And I feel like that's even wrong saying that today, right? That, that you shouldn't have to deal with racism because you're not financially well off. But now like I'm, I'm in a better place and like I would probably just walk out the door. Like then in there after telling someone like what they did was blatantly racist and this is why I'm leaving. Knowing like the diversity issues that are currently in the space, if someone that had that situation happen to them, what would you recommend they do? There's like so many different options to, to take. I think one of our recommendations would definitely share with that person what they said was wrong. Sometimes people just don't even know how wrong they are up until like, like at least in my particular case, I saw in his eyes like he knew he hurt me. Right. But just not acceptable to me. But I do want to let you continue on. You were at the job where somebody says the N word, but um, you decide on that day that the jump start to revamping your resume and looking for a new position. So what happens next? Um, what happens next is um, so I go really in depth in my resumes and it takes me months to just to do. Um, so I put together my resume and also a portfolio of like all the projects I worked on. Um, when I was at hackathons, the, my failed startup, all of that, because I came in handy because then it, it starts looking like you got years of like relevant experience, which is true, right? But like not so much professional experience. So I, I start putting my resume out there, start putting failures out there. And eventually an ad tech company in Manhattan wanted to interview me. And I know that was like really amazing because like now I'm about to jumpstart my career and stuff like that. And it was really cool because now at this point, um, maybe... 21 turning 22, college dropout, beginning this interview, got the job, and I'm getting 55K a year. And I was just like, that's like the most amazing thing ever. And like, I never pictured like I could do that. And I've always wanted to work in Manhattan. And now I'm, I'm working in Midtown Manhattan and kind of now jumpstarting into my career. A year goes by, you know, my son is born. And that job was like sort of toxic because. They would go to happy hour every single night. Peer pressure did exist there. There were some nights where I would have to wake up at six to go to work. And I wouldn't come home till 1 a.m. And like I just did not see my son at all. And from there, I was just like, what type of father do I really want to be? Like, yes, this is all nice, this is all cool. But like, do you want to be the father who's like absent, like an absentee father? Even though like I'm living with him, and, you know, my wife and, and all of that, but I'm I'm not there. So I made a decision that I'm going to work closer to home. I'm going to work in Staten Island and then find a job in Staten Island and at, at another ad tech firm. And in the process, got like a 20K pay increase, right? Because now I have all that experience from working in Manhattan and you go from Manhattan to Staten Island, they automatically like think, you know, like you're super cool. <laughs> um and it was relevant experience in that tech. And it's, it's like really hard to find developers of any color in Staten Island. I did that for about 
two, three years. So after the first year of me working there, the owner said, you know, I, all my friends is talking about how remote first is like the new craze. So he made everybody work from home. So I did like a few years working from home and I sort of got bored with that. Right. So, um, so I'm making 70K. I'm like, this isn't the end point, right? Like, I still have my dreams of being the next Mark Zuckerberg. Like, that didn't go away. I was just like, okay, I just have to work harder, right? <laughs> like, um, and I knew, like, like I wanted, one of the things that, that was hard when I was 18 with my startup is, like, finding investors, right? That's that's not easy, especially being 18 and, and like, people not really knowing you from a hole in the wall. So I wanted to kind of just do it myself, right? Like, that Tyler Perry inspiration, right? Of, like, how can I... Do it myself. I just need to make more money. So then, from there, I was reading the book. Uh, the book was like consulting is the way to go. Uh, so I did consulting. Um, I started David Holmes NYC on October twenty first, uh, and I got my first contract, and it was like almost a hundred thousand dollars at uh, ten days later on October thirty first. And like to me, I still had my full time job at the time, doing this on the side. I was just like, oh my god, like. Like all the stress was actually hitting me of doing two jobs at once. And from there, once my contract expired, I had like enough money saved where like I would be good if I if I took the sum off and I could still pay my bills and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I so I took the sum off, you know, just kind of to reevaluate, right? Like I'm sure you heard this term, right? But I didn't want the whole hood rich mentality. Mm-hmm. I I took a step back and was just like, I know I could continue doing this, but like, let me reevaluate my entire life and like what I'm doing. And because my wife was a teacher aide at the time, she also had the summers off. So we just spent the summer just hanging out, you know? So let's continue. So you're at, you take the summer off, you and your wife are having a grand old time. And then what happens? So I'm on Hacker News one night. Uh, for your listeners, like Hacker News, it's like a place where like a, a bunch of like people in the industry go to Y Combinator, like a big investment firm. And they have like like a, a forum called Hacker News. So I'm on it one day and I see a thing come by that says Obama's stealth startup. It's I think it's a fast company article. Mm-hmm. Um, and I click it. I don't even read the comments. I just I just click the article because I'm like, I'm like, what is this? And I get halfway through and I'm like, this is what I want. Like my resume, remember I told you I had spent like three months on my resume. Resume wasn't even done yet. I sent a half, my, like a half done resume, but it's like, if I don't send this now, someone else is going to send it. I need to send my resume right now. Stop reading the article, sent my resume in. And, you know, someone's done a while back at work in September. Uh, I find a new contract and didn't hear nothing. October 2nd, is my wife and I's anniversary. A week later, I get an email. I get an email and it's from the White House saying they would like to call me for an interview. And I'm just, I remember just being with my friends and I just like, it's like one of my another freeze moments. I'm just like, holy shit. I'm like, this is about to change my life. Like I just felt it. Like I didn't even do the interviews and nothing yet. I just felt it. I'm like, this is about to change my life. Like, cause my, like my life was going relatively good, right? I just got married to the you know woman of my dreams who I was with since I was 17 years old, who'd been with me through thick and thin, you know, we're about to go to Paris a week later. And in between that, right, you know, I get this email and I'm like, this was just meant to be. So I had to, I had to kind of delay the the interviews because I'm like, I'm about to go to Paris, which, which was a cool flex, I guess. Like, <laughs> and again, I've never been overseas. So I was like already feeling myself a little bit. I <laughs> uh, went to the interview process. Getting hired into government takes a while. and 
Um, I had a lock on my credit because I didn't want like anybody to like accidentally. I worked hard on my credit. Like I had bad credit because when I went to school, I got into debt and I just didn't pay it. And then like right. the nine fixing it. So once I fixed it, I was just like, it's just stay fixed. So I put a lock on my credit. The problem is, it's like when you go through the process of being hired through the government, um, you have to fill out a form called an FS86 and they go through like your credit history and stuff like that. Someone yes. in security, personnel security, um, so that I had a lock on my credit, couldn't access it. And no one ever emailed me to say like the lock happened. So like I'm following up and I'm like, what's going on with this process? And then like the security guy and the thing is like, and USCS, we don't have kind of vision into what happens in a security process, right? Because it's between yourself and the, the adjudicator. So I just emailed the guy. I'm like, cause they like, they don't know what's going on. They won't give us any information. So I just emailed the guy who was in charge of my case. And he's like, Oh yeah, your credit was locked. Can you just unlock it? I was just like, oh my God. Like I could have been done that. <laughs> um, and and then, you know, once it was unlocked and I passed security and I was able to get in, the hard part was moving from Staten Island. I, I'm born and raised in Staten Island, never lived anywhere else. Yeah, the rest is history. So you get the government job. How excited were you to start? And what did they have you doing at first? I was super excited. So former President Obama was the first person I ever voted for. Oh, yeah. For five, six years later to be working for him under his, like, new thing and working in the White House, like... I remember talking to my wife, like once, once I got like the job and like we officially know I'm talking to her and she was like, she was like, you know, this is an opportunity that we can't pass up because like, it's, it's the first black president, <laughs> the first person we both wrote it for. Um, and I'm like really excited. And what ended up even making me more excited why I was like, okay, I, like I have to do this job was after you go through your process and stuff, you sometimes don't know what you're going to be working on. And so that's when, like, when you when you pass and you kind of find out, because it's like tons of projects. So it's like, it's very hard because the hiring process is long. So by the time you're done with even the interviewing process, like, like we may have moved on from the project. For this particular project mm-hmm. they was telling me about was, um, that they was working on was a project that had to do with uh, NICS. It stands for like National Instant Check System, which is a gun background system. Um, so everybody who buys a gun from a dealer has to go through the system. And right around the same time was when that Charleston church shooting happened. And that person wasn't supposed to get a gun. And USCS is working on that. And when they asked me, you know, OK, does that project sound good? And like, do you want to join USCS? Because it's still give and take. Right. And like the only thing I could think of to say was like, hell yes. Like, like I want to join like USCS. Like this is a super impactful project. And like, it's something that impacted just even my own personal community. And so I get there, get to USCS, they're still working on that project. But uh, I remember Mikey Dickinson, the first administrator sitting us down and was like, okay, you could go work with that. But we have this thing called the Disability Clearance Processing System. And that's our Social Security Administration. And every year, because people are in the backlog of this Disability Clearance Processing System, people are done. He's like, so you could work on the gun background check system or you can work on this disability claims processing system. And I'm like, oh, like these are two very impactful projects. Right. And right. And my choice was based upon I was like, OK, this there's a team on the gun background check system um, and they're, they're like pretty far along. They're doing great. And the Social Security Administration stuff is just starting up. Um, so I was like, OK. They're not in the best position. So let me join that. And I ended up uh, doing that. 
Um, after that, what came out of that was was some recommendations that that we want to give them. I sat down with like all the engineers and and like we came up with like 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 a solid plan for them. Um, after that, I went to Department of Education where we helped out with student loan debt and default. After that, I went to Small Business Administration, which was interesting because when I wanted to do my consultant thing, um, I went to like Small Business Administration and realized how hard all the, the work is to actually become AD certified, which allows disadvantaged businesses to get government contracts. It was like so much work. And I was just like, yeah, I'm not I'm not doing all of this when like the private industry is like basically knocking at the door. Um, so it's interesting because then I got to come here and then work on making that easier. Um, so now the entire process is certified SBA.gov and now the entire process is 100% digital. And before disadvantaged businesses would be paying lawyers $30,000 to navigate this process. And now because it's 100% digital, anybody could do it from just their, their home and and for free. Um, and after I'm going to go work at uh, FEMA, and this is around the same time like the Puerto Rico hurricane crisis was happening. Um, yes. So we were a little bit on that. Um, but then it was also the wildfires in California. So we also uh, kind of split and divided to, to work. We, the team split and divided to go work on both those problems. Um, and after that, the director of engineering position opened up and I applied and got it. Now, tell my listeners, as the director of engineering, what, what skill sets did you need to bring to that role to be successful? Skill sets to be successful in this role? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, you definitely have to be patient, uh, empathetic. Okay. You know, one of the great things about this job, which may also be one of the worst things, is like we tell you up front that this is not the easiest job. Changing, transforming government is not easy at all. And, oh, and one of the skills that you have to bring is, is being able to, it's kind of not accept that because you always get to question the status quo, but but you definitely got to keep your stress levels in check. EQ is a big part of it, right? Because you got to be patient with our stakeholders who want to like transform government, but they just find it very, very hard. And tech skills, of course, like you, you got to you gotta know your stuff, right? <laughs> right. And so you had a progression through, you know, getting to this role. And you said that a lot of the things that you did for the government were things that made impact. And I'm sure that a lot of my listeners want to get jobs that make an impact. So I have to ask, how can anyone who's interested apply or even get an initial interview for USDS? Everybody can go to usds.gov slash apply. Hiring for all positions. And because of our tour duty model where people can come in short this three months up until four years. Um, we're constantly hiring. And, you know, I think I think for the listeners, just disapply. Because sometimes some of our stuff is like, you know, um, it could, it could kind of seem a little elitism and we're working on that, right? We're like, we're like the top, like we are the top tiered people in government. But I think you, you don't really know if you have a shot until you just apply. So even if you apply and let's say you don't make it through, just apply again in like six months from now. What are some of the biggest challenges that you face? Um, biggest challenges. It's a really good question. Um, so like there's there's like challenges that that we can't control. So like for example, the government shut down, and while USCS HQ because our budget's not related to that, HQ is still around, but they mm-hmm. also have 
that's at Department of Homeland Security and um and they was furloughed and just working with them, making sure they're okay, making sure that like, hey, um, you know, can you make it through without a paycheck? Like more than likely you're gonna get paid once the government comes back on, but are you okay? What can I do to help? What are some what are some things we could do? So I think it's those things that's really not within my control. Um but making sure that I'm there for the people who are impacted and affected by this. And that's awesome. And so you only have a limited more time in your director position, correct? Yep. So what do you foresee as your next step? Hopefully be the next Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> or, or not Mark Zuckerberg. Like that's just, that's a metaphor, but like, hopefully. So one of the things I say about this job that you really don't know up until, um, until you do it and all the impact you you can have. Like I said, like I was like, like the project I had to pick from was do the gun background check or, you know, how people stop dying because they're not getting the disability claims. Um, I think it's, it's, it's hard for me to, to think about that and all the projects we have going on right now um, and think about all that impact. I think it's hard for me to then leave this job and do like a dog walking for Uber app. Right. Like this job really ruined me and changed my perspective of like what's actually important. So I, I foresee myself staying in civil uh, civic tech. OK. And you said that it ruined you because it made you see what's important. So what's important to you now? Making sure veterans get their health care, mm. making sure that the mainframe at Health and Human Services don't go down because that's three percent of the GDP and that can cause a recession. Making sure that disadvantaged small businesses can actually apply and get an A-day a certification without having to pay $30,000 for a free application. So I think it's like, at the end of it, I think for whatever I do in my next gig, whatever happens of it, I'm going to say, what is the impact of it? Like, and how does this actually impact someone's thing? Right now, I don't have to think, how do I make a CEO richer, right? My day-to-day is making sure mm-hmm. that how do I keep people alive right like how do i make sure that they're, they're right. getting the services that that we as citizens because through congress said they should have and like how how do how do we make sure that we can continue to make that impact and make sure that you know i like to say that you touch government throughout your entire life right when you're born you t- you touch social security administration because you get a social security number right when you go to mm-hmm. when you grow up you know you, you maybe you have public education um but when you grow up, maybe you apply for FAFSA, right? And then, you know, you pay, you get a job, you pay Social Security your entire life and you touch Social Security again, but then throughout it, you're maybe, you know, using the IRS. And I think about all those interactions and how some of them are really, really hard. And how do we make that easy for everybody? As easy as like ordering food on Uber Eats, right? Right. And not, not like that. And when I think about stuff, it's, it's just more about how can we make that easier? I think... I can't do it alone. USCS can't do it alone. The, the best way is having people come into government to even USCS to, to do these tour of duties. So we've had success in people after USCS um, staying in civic tech, starting up digital services in different states. Um, some of them, you know, uh, started up startups and now is trying to change this from the outside, right? Where they're trying to they're trying to start up these contracting firms who focuses on users and, and user-centered design and, and hiring the best engineers. And they're trying to now revamp how, how, how government contracts are done, 
So I think about all of that. So it ruined me because now I'm, I'm my eyes is wide open to all of this. Whereas before it wasn't. Right. Right. And I do have to ask an infamous question that I'm sure some of my listeners want to know. Did you ever get to meet Obama while you were in your position? I did. And oh, my God, it was the greatest day of my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, of course, you got to go into some more detail. Where, <laughs> when, how? So this was um, right before he gave Joe Biden the, what is it, the Medal of Freedom? Um, yeah. And right before it. And he wanted to meet USD, but he, like he wanted to see all of us to to just congratulate us on all the good work. And I remember him saying, you know, it's crazy because USDS was born in the healthcare.gov. Now something tragic happened and we was able to fix it. And he said, out of something so terrible, something beautiful was born. And I want you all to keep up this good work because this work needs to be done. And I was like, he's talking to me. I mean, there's 170 people there, but I'm like, he's talking to me. <laughs> Um, and then uh, one by one, he shook all of our hands. And, and I'll say he has some smooth hands, you know, <laughs> um, but one by one, he shook all of our hands, looked us in the eye. And one thing up about it was like, and, and I talked to other people about this too, is like, like, like he has a way of, even though it's like a quick handshake, he has a way of making you feel like, like, but he's paying attention to only you and only you at this time. So it's like one of the greatest things of my life. I know I'm like fanboy and really hard here, but like, I mean, it was President Obama. It's okay. I'm girling from afar. <laughs> it was cool because like one of, uh, one of the, one of the, one of the people here dapped him and Obama just moved. It was just like, you, you dapped the president. He was like, yeah, when else are you going to get a chance to do that? I was like, you're right. I should have did that, um, but but they got uh, uh, the person giving Obama that uh, one of us too, right? Like um, he got that perfect moment. I was just like, oh, I wish I had that picture. <laughs> like I wish my picture <laughs> more like the little professional who's <laughs> shaking his hands. And, but yeah, I got to meet him once, and it was crazy because when I first joined USDS, they was like, look, you may work for the White House, um, you may have access to the White House campus, you will probably never meet the president. Um, because the president is usually like meeting space. But one of the good things I'm super happy for is so I have access to give West Wing tours and I have my entire mm-hmm. family come down and I gave them West Wing tours during the Obama era and they got to see the White House. They got to see the Oval Office. They got to see the whole West Wing. It was really nice. And my grandma came down here. Um, I took her to uh, this is when the African American Museum just opened up, so I took her to the African American Museum too, and we watched um, Hidden Figures on bootleg, <laughs> but we watched it um, because she she couldn't go out to the movies, and, and it was it wasn't a bad one, but like <laughs> doing it for my grandmother, um, <laughs> it was even a lot to get her to come down to DC. So I'm glad she made it, and, and you know, you know, I'm glad I was able to bring my entire family to the West Wing during the Obama years as well. Well, I wish I knew you during the Obama era because I would I would have came down too. So one thing that you mentioned and you've mentioned several times is that you thought you were going to be Mark Zuckerberg, and I need to know what made you think that. So I remember, okay, this is this is maybe an interesting story. I remember, um, so in eighth grade, remember when I was saying like how I should make making money with computers and like fixing people's computers and and stuff like that. Um, I remember my mm-hmm. godmother, my in, the, in our living room. And 
I'm just, I just remember telling them, I was like, I'm going to be the next Bill Gates. I'm going to be the next Steve Jobs. And I just remember them just kind of doubting me because back then, this is like early 2000s, right? Like the dot-com era didn't really feature black people. Computers was like a thing foreign to us. Most of us barely even had computers. And like, they was like, well, you know, you got to do this. You know, you got to do this. You know, I'm like, watch, I'm going to become the next Bill Gates, Steve Jobs. Watch me. And just that confidence of my father, you know, being a drug addict, then turning his life around. It's like such an inspiration to me that like, I never had, I've never lacked confidence. This is like the best way of putting it. So I just always wanted to be somebody like, like a black person in tech doing it. And because it wasn't nobody. Right. So I just wanted to be the first. And not like like this other people in the industry. And like I was at Afrotech last year and like I was just like, oh, my God, I'm home. Like, like where have all these people been my entire life? Um, <laughs> but I just never thought that like like the color of my skin should be the thing that stops me from having dreams. That is a word right there. And the reason I asked the question is because, like you mentioned, there's no black person that they've pushed to the tech forefront where they're like, I want to be them. And I feel like a lot of times people, when they think of somebody in tech who's successful, it's a white man or using the example of if you think of someone who's a programmer, what do you picture? It's usually a white man and a hoodie that, you know, dresses down all day and gets work done. And I commend you for saying, look, I'm going to be the next uh, Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg. I don't care that he's white, but I know what I want to be. And I know I want to be successful and I'm going to be like one of them. I mean, I still haven't achieved it yet, but I got some time. (laughs) You have a lot of time, one, but you are well, well, well on your way. Well, David, we've talked about your experience of going from the hood to the White House. So if there's anything, advice, tips that you have, for Black techies out there, this is your moment. Go for it. Some of my advice is know your worth, right? One of the best advice I gave, I got one day was take whatever you think your hourly salary is and double it. And for your next job opportunity, just present that. The worst they could say is no, right? Um, make sure that if you're in a toxic situation, get out of it as fast as you can because it won't get better. The one-on-ones won't solve it. The sit-downs won't solve it. And I guess another advice would just be, you know, just don't be an asshole. Be a good, decent human being, right? You <laughs> um, must listen to my um, Charles Kirkendall episode. He was one of the first people I've heard say that, and now it's you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, a, there's some real not nice people sometimes that you can meet. And, like, life is too short to be an asshole, I think. And, and I'll be at Afrotech, too, this November. So, oh, um, yeah. if, if, if this is out by then, we have a booth there. I'm going to be there. I'm. I think I'm giving a lightning, a 15 minute lightning talk there. So if you're out of Afrotech, you know, come see me. Um, I'll love to chat and talk. And um, we didn't go a lot over some of the projects that we're doing currently at USCS, but I would love to just sit down and talk if anybody's interested in just like what we're doing today. Thanks for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the podcast on Instagram and all social media outlets. And if you haven't already, please go subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. If you have a few extra minutes, please make sure to leave a five-star review too. 
It would help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.